All right, this is the Mysteria podcast. We're nice and comfy. We're cozy. Um, I'm excited for this episode. We've had quite a few conversations leading up to this, and uh, it's always been fun talking to you, and you're a very interesting person, and uh, we're going to get into some good topics today. Uh, so my guest, the lovely Ms. Nadia Fox. Hi. Nice to see you. Thank you. It's nice to meet you in person. Yeah, it's nice to meet you too. So uh, we're having like nice discussion off the air, and um, you know we'll just kind of hop into it, and I got the... I got my watch going, and we got our coffees going, and I got a ginger beer, too. Nice. It reminds me of England, so. Okay. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. I mean, I guess you, you've done a lot of things in, in your life so far. Um, we're talking about dating life in Vancouver, too. So, we're talking about new things. We're talking about old things. Um, so, you want to start with old things, or you want to start with new things? Um, doesn't matter. What do you think? Well, why don't we, let's, let's start with new. Okay. We'll do it like a Tarantino movie. We'll start new, we'll go back, we'll jump forward. We'll okay. go all over the place. Yeah. Um, so we were, well, you were talking, I was bitching <laughs> about dating in, in Vancouver because um, some of the experiences I've been having lately are um, not necessarily negative, but not positive either, I'd say. And what's interesting is, um, and you made the, the excellent point of saying, when you're multidimensional, people have a hard time with that. Um, and that seems to be the case, because when I go, when I show up and say, oh, yeah, I got this law degree and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, are you doing work with, with that? Well, no, not really. I'm kind of, you know, sort of doing some stuff, but not really. I did this record, and I have this podcast, and I'm trying to get rolling with that. And then that's kind of when I get the, the confused look. And you would think that, I mean, I like to think the stuff I'm doing is pretty positive. It seems positive to me. Um, but the reaction that you get from people can be quite interesting at times, where it's like, if, you know, and like we said, if it's, if it's a multi-dimensional thing or unidimensional, people get kind of weirded out by that. And so for someone, we'll get into, you know, the work that you do, which is very interesting, and I think there's lots of... Um, What's the right word? Stereotypes, I guess, based around that, that you definitely do not subscribe to because um, that's just not who you are. Um, but people will make their assumptions, right? So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Where do you want to start with there? Multidimensional, unidimensional? I think, Where are we going? So I think people um, really prefer safety. And so, you know, when they hear lawyer or something, of course, they're going to assume like, they know, <laughs> I suppose, and just like a very traditional lifestyle. Um, but unfortunately, or fortunately, traditions are also breaking down right now. Um, and then also I find um, people probably think like what kind of crazy nutcase is just throwing away their law degree to do whatever this is. And I get the same reaction in a different way when I tell people like, you know, people will meet me in the strip club and they'll be like, oh, what's your exit strategy? And first of all, like, that is so goddamn rude. Like, I was just going to say, I'm like, like man, oh, that's condescending. It's, sorry, it's like a fly. Um, yeah, you I mean, you don't, you don't say that to a waitress or a bartender or like, you know, it's like calm down. <laughs> yeah. um, and then also people, like when I tell them like, oh, I've gone to school five times now or oh, I just dropped out of school or something, people kind of look at you like, oh, wow, you have no idea what you're doing. But what they don't understand on our side is, no, I did this because I know exactly what I'm doing. I obviously can weigh pros and cons myself, and I've decided that this path is better, but people kind of like think that we don't know how to weigh pros and cons, I suppose. Well, and in your instance too, 
uh, it's not like you stopped going to school because you got kicked out. Right. You made a choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I had great grades. So. Yeah, it's it's interesting, like the, and so yeah, like talking about stereotypes. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty outspoken too about talking about what assholes lawyers are because I mm. went to school with them, so I know who they are. Mm. I'm not one of them, by the way. Lawyers. I'm not, I'm not in there. L- lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> and. Um, and it's funny, and you get you get a reaction like, oh, you know, if you did something traditional like, you know, law, then people will say, oh, you must be like a good person then, right? Because that's like a standard that everybody shoots for, as if there's something magical about that standard anyway, which there really isn't. But then in your case, with dancing and your OnlyFans career that you restarted, yeah, um, then it's oh, what? Why? Why do that? Why don't you do something else? That's kind of, you know, the the reaction is, and even when I was telling people that I was going to have you on the podcast, even I was kind of getting a little bit of a uh, little bit of comments from people where it's like, oh, why? Like, why would you do that? And I'm like, well, pick up the phone and talk to her for ten minutes, and then you can tell me. She's a good person, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's interesting the the label on what you do uh, somehow it then means that's that's who you are as a person when that's not at all the case. And it goes good or bad. You know, it goes on, on both sides of that. Um, but what what's your experience been with that? Well, I say it's not, you know, what you do at work. It's what you do when you're off work that kind of makes you who you are, right? Um, my experience, do you mean like with being judged for what I do? Sure, yeah. Um, it's definitely transformed over the years. Like in 2012, when I became an exotic dancer, um, I'm from the Bible Belt of BC, so Chilliwack and Abbotsford, there's a lot of Christians and stuff, and I would just log on to Facebook and, you know... <laughs> the dreaded Facebook, and, oh yes. Um, literally, I'd go to message, you know, one friend, and oh, I'm blocked, and then I'd be like, oh, I'm going to go check on this person and see if we're still doing that thing this weekend. Oh, I'm blocked, and it was just like block, 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 every single person who found out I was a dancer, and I used to, I did... Um, bodybuilding competitions. I was bikini. Oh, you did those, eh? Yeah, I did that um, years ago. And I just walked into the gym one day and the whole gym fell silent. And I was like, oh, they know. Because it was like, it was my first three months of dancing where people didn't really know. And then all of a sudden people knew. And I walked in and it was like the whole gym stopped and was like silent. And then I never went back to that gym. And I was right, everybody did know, and I was kind of like the town stripper. Um, And then it started to transform, like I moved out to Vancouver within my first six months of dancing, and you know, that's, strippers and stuff started to be featured in music videos a lot more at that time. And then there was started to be like more reality TV show and stuff, and then Mm. since Cardi B and all these things, like it's kind (laughs) of changed, and Amber Rose, and I mean, these are not great representations of the industry. Thank you but, for saying that. But I will say, you know, being a being <laughs> an exotic dancer, being a sex worker is actually very different region to region because there's different laws and stuff. And in British Columbia, it's actually quite conservative. If you're a dancer, you actually dance. Right. Whereas in some parts of the world, being a dancer could mean something completely different, um, which is scary because then when I tell people I'm a dancer, depending on where they're from, <laughs> right. that's what they're going to think. Yeah. So if you're a guy from Florida and I tell you I'm a dancer, you think that I'm like, sucking and fucking yeah. in the club, which is so not the case. And it's absolutely not, that's not even ever going to happen here in BC. It could never, but unfortunately everybody kind of has their own idea of what that means if you're an exotic dancer. And then same with OnlyFans, like there's girls who are also 
you know, in the fitness industry, they have an OnlyFans yeah. and their OnlyFans is just them in their underwear. Mm-hmm. And they're making crazy money because, you know, they don't post photos of them in their underwear on their Instagram. Right. Whereas, like, I could never get away with that because I'm in my underwear in public and, like, all this stuff all the time. People, <laughs> right. people want to see a little more on my Instagram. I mean, OnlyFans, yeah. Well, and what I love about that, too, so you walk into the gym. Well, actually, you got a couple. Yeah, let's start with that. Because, okay. you know, you walk into the gym and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh. right? Everyone kind of. So, like, how does that. Like, that would suck. Like, how did you kind of, and how old were you at the time? This is, I was 19, yeah. So you're young, you know, and Mm -hmm. so what did that kind of, how'd that feel? I'll never forget that day, ever. Um, I was like, I was a small girl, I was like 98 pounds, and just um, very naive, and I've always been, I was really, really bubbly when I was younger, and then after a lot of the bullying and stuff that I went through, I closed down, and now I'd say I'm bubbly again, but... That was just crazy because like the managers at the gym knew, everybody knew. I remember even before I became a dancer, when I was just doing fitness competitions, you have to get those dancer heels. Oh, right. Yeah, that's right. And I remember I had explicit permission from the owner of the gym that I was allowed to practice posing in the yoga studio room at the gym. And girls would like scream and freak out and yell at me from across the gym. This isn't a strip club. And they'd like scream at their boyfriends. Like, don't you dare watch her practice her posing. And it's like, this is a standard thing. Like all bikini competitors do this. Oh, all... that's really mean. Yeah, it's really. Oh, that's really. really... Well, that's what's so wow. So that's the whole thing. <laughs> like back, back when I started in 2012, this was not acceptable work, according to wow. the public. Where now you could never get away with shaming somebody like you can't escort shame you can't only fan shame you can't slut shame like everything's really changed now people's opinions may have not changed but the idea that you can just attack somebody for it is what's changed so now like i meet girls who are you know gen z they're dropping out of high school to become only fan stars and stuff and they have so much support like everybody's like oh my god good for you and that's just not the world that i came up in um and it feels really good now to have so much experience under my belt but to have it now celebrated so now i can talk about it like here i am with you but for a long time yeah that's changed (laughs) but for a long time it wasn't like that and it's always awkward like I'll be anywhere and people be like oh what do you do and I just freeze and I like it's actually so (laughs) awkward I'll literally be out in public like chatting with somebody like they could work there or wherever I am and I'll just stare off into the distance like a weirdo (laughs) and I, I like don't have an answer and I look back at them and I'm like I'm a content creator or I'm a business owner or is it, I, I keep telling myself to say model because that gets like no questions after that. But if anything else you say, people have a lot of questions. So. <laughs> yeah, man, that is actually, that's pretty crazy that someone would be that, uh, and people would be that outspoken to be like, you know, you suck. Like really just to say it like you suck, you're terrible. And, and to say that in like really hurtful ways, but like. It's pretty ballsy, you know, like, wow, like you're an asshole to do that. Yeah, I think what's changed Shit. too is like before <laughs> you could bully somebody and it was like, shame on the victim, haha, they're a loser. But now it's very much changed <laughs> where like if you're the person bullying, people are like, dude, what's wrong with you? Why are you so like angry? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's shifted too. And so having that experience, did, did you ever, you know, just when you're on your own and you're by yourself and you just kind of have those moments to reflect. Cause I've had these moments too, where I'm just like, Holy fuck. I think I'm making, like, I don't know if this is the right thing to be doing. You know, like you believe in whatever dream or dreams and, uh, especially things that might seem, uh, unattainable, like levels of success that you want to reach that in that present moment, you're not there, but you're working towards. And 
you have those moments, well, I've had those moments where it's like, man, <laughs> you know, I don't know about this. But then you kind of give your head a shake and it's like, okay, you know, we're good. You just have those moments of weakness, right? Um, but I never had someone or people really tell me to my face like, hey, you're a piece of shit for doing what you're doing. Or, like, so I, I didn't really have that kind of negativity. I had skepticism, mm. but that's a very different mm -hmm. level to deal with. But for you, you're getting like attacked for that. And you're young also at the time. Yeah. How did you kind of, you know, what were those moments like for you where you're thinking, you know, damn, reflecting on what happened? There was never a second where I thought what I was doing was wrong. Yeah, I right wanted, on. Yeah. <laughs> Hell well, yeah. I was at, when I was in university when I was 18 and I was doing my paralegal diploma at the uni University of the Fraser Valley. I wanted to be a stripper, but I was still 18 and I couldn't wait to be a stripper. And I told my classmates, like, I'm going to be a stripper once I'm 19. And I actually didn't know that you could strip at 18. I had no idea that there was that club in New West. But and if I could go back in time, I would have started at 18. I would have flown to L.A. and started dancing there as soon as I could. But um, the thing is, back in the day and it, things have changed a lot and we'll we'll talk about that. But the money in the strip clubs in Vancouver used to be off the charts astronomical i was 19 years old i was making four grand every weekend and i was Ooh. also working weekdays so i was making like um like 20 grand a month without even realizing it at 19 so like people had a lot of nasty things to say to me i remember this one girl who i went to middle school and high school with. she like messaged me on facebook she's like what the fuck are you doing this is so stupid come work in fort mac like me i'm a secretary <laughs> i make 1400 dollars a week up here which back like that's still pretty good 10 though. years ago yeah, that would have been okay good. money yeah and i was like oh well i'm making you know more than 1400 a night but thank you <laughs> and um so <laughs> and so just at the time it's like people i think and i you know i've mentioned this in the podcast i did the other day but like people their instinct is to save and protect people they actually mm. think that their um name calling and their skepticism they think skepticism they think that they're keeping us safe right. so people wanted to keep me safe like they're worried i'm going to end up in drugs or they think like oh my god she's ruining her life she's going to be like chained up somewhere like giving blowjobs i don't know what people think you know people just like their minds go. i think it is a lot of that though it is i think it is and yeah. you watch like you watch like tv and anytime a strip club is depicted in television it is so not like any strip club i've ever been in <laughs> it's like the most thuggin' depraved situation so it's just not like that like at least the clubs i've worked at are very glamorous it, or it is a glamorized scenario and so people think they're keeping me safe but really i think like the most dangerous thing you can do is play it safe right and yeah 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 and so because you've also modeled and you were a playboy cover model yeah that's super cool thank you so now um i was also in hustler magazine th and that as well yeah so let's talk about that modeling career too because you had an interesting journey like we were talking off air as well you had an interesting kind of back and forth and how that all worked out. So that's really interesting too. So when, um, maybe I'll jump ahead a little bit and then you fill in the blanks for me. So <clears throat> you're getting kind of attacked, I guess. Well, you're getting attacked for, oh, you're stripping and uh, that's not acceptable. What are you doing? You're ruining your life, et cetera. Um, did posing for Playboy, which is I mean, even people who don't really know what Playboy is know what Playboy is, right? Like the brand name is just so powerful um, in the social consciousness, right? Um, so when that happened, when you when you got the gig, uh, tell us a little bit just about that experience as well, because that's I've never met anyone who's 
modeled like that, so that's kind of cool. Oh. Um, and uh, did that, um, what's the right word? Legitimize you in other people's validate. eyes? Validate, yeah, what, what was the reaction? Absolutely. Um, I would say that it did. Um, but before that, so in 2016 was when I first started getting invited to the Playboy Mansion. And so that was kind of like the first, I, I remember posting those photos on Facebook and everybody was like, whoa, my God, she's at the <laughs> right? Playboy <Yeah>. Mansion. <laughs> um, and there was some people who messaged me like online friends who were like, wow, like you told me that you wanted this and now you're there. And I think people started to realize like, I'm not just like Switch. Just talking shit. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna make things happen. Like this is a real industry. Like the, the modeling, swimsuit model, sex worker, whatever industry is a huge business. Um, so yeah, it did. And my dad was so proud of me. He asked for two copies of my magazine. He like wanted my grandmother to see it. He showed every single person in my family and my extended family my Playboy magazines. It my like half sister. She like was like, oh yeah, like dad won't stop going off about how you're in Playboy. <laughs> Yeah, and so my parents were very proud. My mom even posted my Playboy cover on her Twitter. Um, yeah, it was kind of a big deal. And I did feel like it validated me. Like, if you're in the sex worker industry or the hot girl industry or whatever you want to call it, <laughs> um, being celebrated in that kind of format is a big deal. And how did you get the gig? How'd that, so, how'd that come about? You know, I first... It's a weird long story, so I'll give you I'll give you the full full one. I was kind of being bullied by a girl who was a Playboy model way back in 2013. She was my boyfriend at the time's ex-girlfriend, and okay. she was just like a vicious little cunt. And she was like, even though they were over, she would like come over to his place and like say she needed a place to sleep, and he would treat yeah. her kind of like she was like a first class citizen because she was a Playboy model and he would treat me like I'm a second class citizen even though I was the current girlfriend. So I was like horrendously tormented by this. It was just, it, it was such a short time span, but in my head it was like the biggest deal at the time. And I just knew that I wanted to be a Playboy model too then. Um, if that's how you get the good treatment from people. So I went on, I did an audition, like I online submitted. Oh, I didn't okay. hear back because I guess I did my online submission incorrectly. Oh, okay. Okay, I didn't hear back. And then I forget what happened, but I was like, I'm just going to try this again. So like a year and a half later, I did another online wow. one. And then that's when they responded and they invited oh, okay. me to the mansion. And then I went to the mansion again. And, um, and like you do your test shoot and stuff. And nothing actually happened for a while. And then I did a photo shoot with a Playboy photographer who's like... Um, Every Playboy chapter, like in every country, they have like their official photographers. Okay. Okay. Cool. So I shot with somebody who did that and Playboy South Africa saw the photos and asked for them. And that was kind of it. So it was kind of a long journey because I tried multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think being like going there and like meeting people and stuff helped. Um, Definitely. And then I ended up finding out that that girl's not even a playmate or a centerfold or anything. She's actually just a cyber girl of the week, which is nothing. Oh, right. Okay. So kind of crazy, the motivation, and then wasn't even what I thought. You had that Michael Jordan, the, that little edge where you're like, I took that personally. And you went on and got it done. I'm, I, I, I'm not familiar with that, but sure, yeah. There you go. It's, it works. It works. Yeah, I take things personally. That's right. Mm -hmm. And so now what year was that, 2012? No, so... Um, I was published in 2018. Oh, okay. Yeah, so All it was right. actually a long journey. Yeah. Yeah. And sorry, when did you shoot for them? In 2018. Oh, was okay. So it was yeah. all in 2018. Then. Yeah. Okay. And through that time, um, was Hustler bef 
before or after? I shot for Hustler in 2020, just like a okay, year before so Larry Flint died. Okay, yeah. right. Okay. And what was your experience with that? Was that a fun time or? Hustler is extremely professional. Um, cool. they're, okay. obviously, they're pornographers, which I would say, you know, if if you know the difference between Playboy and Hustler, it's I do. Spread Eagle. So um, they handle you. I mean, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. They handle you. Both companies are extremely professional. They right. handle you with care. When I was at Playboy Studios doing my um, original audition in person when they finally responded, I was, it was very professional. Yeah. Um, and anytime that you're doing nude work, there's a lot of legal stuff that's involved. For sure. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like what was that like? Uh, for you at the time, uh, doing something cause yeah, hustler is a little bit of a different kind of level, um, than playboy, but you know, how was that? Cause you also had, you started, you had your only fans in 2018. It wasn't 2018. Okay. Yeah. So maybe just kind of work out the details for that for me then. So how was your experience with only because now OnlyFans, that was sort of before before the boom before the boom because yeah. that was the COVID boom and yeah yeah anyway yeah I knew walk what, us through that I knew what OnlyFans was okay so I will say um Hustler was actually a bigger dream for me than Playboy because cool. I would always dance for people at the club show them my pussy and they'd be like oh my god you need to be in Hustler and I'm like I want to be in Hustler. <laughs> that's a good reaction at least you're like oh you should not do this you're like, <laughs> do not no nah, it's all right yeah no. Um, no no I really wanted to be in Hustler and Hustler um, was an amazing experience I would love to shoot for them again and I plan to if I oh great you know, okay cool um, whenever I get the time um, so both were really great and I think Hustler was a little bit more fast and I got response from them quicker so that it there was a bit more of like a feeling of acceptance or something. I'm mm -hmm. not sure. Um, OnlyFans, I knew what that was because a lot of British models were yes. onto it first. That's I'm right. I'm sure you know that. That's right. Um, and also because I was in the Playboy community, it was originally what I understand OnlyFans was meant to be was girls who were like Playboy models right. or glamour models who were getting hated on if they posted stuff on Facebook or Instagram, they needed a safe place to post their work. Mm -hmm. So only their fans would go see it instead of like, you know, some, yeah, some, ass, some troll reporting yeah, exactly. your post over and over again. So <laughs> that's how it started. And back in the day, people were charging a higher fee for their OnlyFans. It'd be like $20 a month and stuff. Yeah. And then once porn stars got into it, now it's like you see a lot of like $5 a mm -hmm. month. Um, so I started it. Um, I didn't really keep up with it. I had it for a while and I enjoyed it, but I was comparing it to strip club money because I'm thinking like, okay, okay, if I can make $800 a day and I'm only getting like $800 a month from subscriptions, it just felt like not worth keeping up with at the time. Sure. And I probably should have because when 2020 hit, the world got rocked, but yeah. Okay. And then Hustler comes, you do that. Yeah. When did you restart your OnlyFans? Because then you, you shut it down and you're back at it now. Yeah. So how did that work more recently? When then? the club shut down, I was not sure that... Oh, right. Yeah. yeah that the, would have happened too. Yeah. The yeah. club <laughs> shut down. I was out of work for right. um, like 15 months and then another three months. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's... That's significant. It was significant. Yeah, that's... <laughs> it was a nightmare. Yeah. Um, so, and, and then for those who don't know, like... Instead of making fun of Instagram models and stuff, people have to understand that social media is actually a huge asset because people who have followings, they were fine during right. the period. They were slipping right. in the words of Paris Hilton. So anyway, <laughs> um, um, oh my goodness, what was the question? Uh, talk about when you restarted your... Oh yeah, so I restarted it and at first, you know, it's so funny how things kind of cascade, but 
I was like, okay, well, I'll start an OnlyFans and I'll just dance on it like I'm in the strip club. So I do dance on my OnlyFans, like I do strip teases. And um, then, you know, people asked to see more things and I wasn't really comfortable with doing certain things. And then, you know, next thing you're comfortable and it happens pretty quickly. So, um, and a lot of people on my OnlyFans now are people who've been watching me on my Instagram for like a decade now since I first, you know, started going by Nadia Fox and stuff. And has Instagram been, you know, how does that kind of work? Because, like, I'm, I'm getting into it now where I'm like, okay, we got to start posting some fitness stuff and podcast stuff. And so I'm, I'm kind of starting to understand a little bit more about using Instagram as a tool. Um, but I'm also a bit of a tool when it comes to that. So I'm kind of dumb. I'm trying to figure it out still. Um, but in your instance, uh, how has Instagram been for you has it helped has it hindered has it kind of not really done anything like what's your what's been your experience with social media for advancing your career instagram is super important it's important for people to know like and trust you that's the most valuable thing and so people i find like people aren't going to find you on instagram it's actually really hard to get discovered on instagram nowadays mm. um not always but it can be um so instagram's kind of like people say it's their website or people say it's their business card I feel like it's a place where people check in with you every day because everybody right. opens up Instagram every day and watches people's stories. So I think it's really important for people to like be able to peer into your life on a daily basis. Um, and then also just like putting your best foot forward on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I think Instagram's the most glamorous app. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I do think that's important. Of course, like any time that you're taking up space in people's mind, that matters. Good point. Mm -hmm. And what I love about your Instagram too, um, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to even remember how we, oh, it was after the record. You actually sent me a very lovely message after I broke the record. Yes. And I didn't know who you were. Right. Um, but it was very nice. I still have the message because it, it was very sweet. I appreciated that. Um, and then we just kind of started chit-chatting from there on. Um, but what I really like about your Instagram um, is that it's very it's very real like it, it does seem like a, a in so far as a screen can be an accurate representation of a person it's pretty accurate like from having spoken to you and talked to you you're very um you're very open about well you're, first of all you're very open about your work which is great because i think that's important when people on the inside of whatever industry are saying this is what it's like and this is what i go through and you know, I like it and blah, blah, blah. So I think that part's great. Um, but you're really into self-development. You're very open about that. You're very good about talking about your sobriety. And you're, I saw your one YouTube video from, I think it's a little while ago now, where you yeah. talked about your sobriety story, which is phenomenal. I'd like to get into that if you're okay with that. Um, and your cold plunge stuff too is great. Mm -hmm. We can talk about that as well, because I, I know a lot about that. Um, but I think it's great that you, you're... Like, this is what I do, this is who I am. You like it, you don't, fuck off. Like, whatever, this is, you're here for me or you're not. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're cool about talking about your sobriety a little bit, um, I'd love to ask you some questions about that. Yeah, of course. So just tell us a little bit kind of when that started and when you kind of realized like, all right, I gotta get my shit together because I, I think what gets, um, what people don't understand and lately I've been getting a lot into um, super nerd moment for me. So let me just have my nerd moment, but like neuropsychology and 
different things like that. So I'm, I'm really trying to get an understanding of people don't understand how difficult it is to actually get sober. Like it, it's pretty amazing the behavioral changes and depending on the substance that you're using, how it affects your brain chemistry. Like it's really not as simple as it is made out to be. And it takes tremendous willpower and introspection to be like, all right, we're going to make a change. We're going to keep it rolling. Um, and I love that you're very good about documenting that, you know, through stories and posts and talking about it and being very open about it. Um, but yeah, anyway, enough of me talking. So yes, so for you, um, what was your battle with that? I knew I was becoming an alcoholic in 2015. So I um, had started to be going to Los Angeles like half the year. Okay. Um, in 2015 and 2016 and 2017 and I think just living in a hotel room and being all alone like you kind of just you know go out and have a drink at the bar and then um within that year I had to stop smoking marijuana because it started to have a ne negative effect and I had been a stoner for a really long time so I stopped smoking weed and I started to drink more to compensate like I wasn't I wasn't consciously <laughs> right. aware that I was compensating but suddenly I was drinking a lot more right um and I knew it was a problem because I was 22 years old getting like two day hangovers Ooh, yeah. and a lot of people don't have that till they're in their 30s um and so yeah I, I knew it was bad and then I also knew it was bad because I couldn't really go like a day or two without having a couple glasses of wine and I know that sounds really tame but like I literally couldn't handle going throughout the day without like sitting down and having you know some wine um, and that was kind of just like the very beginning of my alcoholism and then fast forward to 2018 I almost died several times um, I had like it completely destroyed um, your electrolytes and like I was completely dehydrated and like just dying um, and I probably should have gone to the hospital but I didn't and that happened several times. There was one time where I was up all night drinking and when I went to bed in the morning at like 10 in the morning, my friend thought I was dead. And um, I've heard people say to me like, the amount that I can consume as far as alcohol like actually scares them. It's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't mean to laugh, it's just kinda, you know what I mean. <laughs> it's sad though and that's the whole thing and even when I think about it now, cause I'm three and a half years sober now, I got sober May 19, 2019. When I now think about it like, I know I can't drink because in my head I'm like, I have this thing like, cause and it's part of part of the cold plunging, it's part of Playboy, and it's part of everything I do. I like to do things to the max, <laughs> and so when I think about drinking, it's like we're gonna do this to the max. Right. So I can never drink again. Um, yeah. So, but anyway, fast forward to 2018. Um, after I had almost died a couple times, my nerve damage started to get really bad. Nerve damage is something alcoholics experience, mm -hmm. and it got to the point where. Um, the last time I ever had a drink, I had two glasses of wine over dinner and I didn't even, you know, get drunk, obviously, but I couldn't sleep for 48 hours because I was like convulsing and twitching and having all these involuntary spasms. Wow. Yeah, it was really bad. And so obviously, you know, you're not even drunk and you're having a 48 hour bad reaction. It's time to quit. And so I think for some people who would be listening, they might be thinking, okay, so the, the woman living the stripper lifestyle. Mm -hmm is an alcoholic too. Mm. How much did that, I mean, and just based on listening you talk about it, I mean, you're even saying like just having kind of a, a few drinks or a couple drinks and you're like, yeah, this is, you know, not good. So you recognized the behavioral aspect where you're like, the fact that I can't go a day without a couple drinks is like, mm -hmm. you know, so you started to see the warning signs, which is 
generally a little bit atypical based on, you know, some of the reading that I've done where it's like, you know, usually these people are just going on benders and, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. But it's good that you recognize like, okay, you know, we got to kind of take a step back here. But how much did your lifestyle play into the alcoholism or did it not, didn't at all? I'll be really honest. I don't think it does at all because if you go to an AA meeting, like if I go to an AA meeting, I'm the only stripper in the room. Right. So (laughs) exactly. what about the other, other, the other 99? Yeah. So, um, I I think that because there's like a, a lack of structure Mm. that can be hard for people, but a lot of people's lives that are super structured make them drink. Mm -hmm. So I don't really think there's a rhyme or reason or anything like that. Yeah. Well, that's totally true. Cause I, it, in any profession, it's like pro athletes too, mm. you know, and they got drug issues and, and drinking problems. And it's like, you're a pro athlete. Like they should be, you know, cause when you hear pro athlete, your immediate schema that you associate with that is jacked, good shape, pinnacle of health. Right. Um, and then to have a substance issue is just in complete opposition to that. Right. Mm-hmm. And yet a lot of them, struggle with that, you mm-hmm. know, for a number of reasons, but that's, that's the case. And yeah, if you're like, yeah, if I go to an AA meeting, I'm the only stripper there, mm-hmm. but people will think, well, yeah, of course she's an alcoholic because she, you know, stripper and OnlyFans and why wouldn't she be right? And it's like, well, you know, <laughs> um, I mean, I wouldn't think that, but I think maybe if those are the people that you're exposed to, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> those, are kinds of associations, <laughs> those kinds of associations. Um, you know, I've talked to, people like there's people who um know drug dealers and a lot of drug dealers like lawyers are their biggest customers oh yeah yeah and like not just the normal drugs oh yeah hard ones hard shit yeah so it doesn't really matter what your status or your title is addiction can affect anybody yeah for sure Mm -hmm. and so what was your i don't know what's the right word process or you know how how did you get sober? Like what, what were the steps that you took? Did you relapse? Was it kind of a thing where you're like, all right, I'm good. And once you got on the path, I mean, I was going to say it was a straight shot, but I mean, it's probably was things like that are peaks and valleys, you know, of course, but you know, more or less a straight path, but tell us about that. Yeah. Um, well, I had been attempting to get sober for months leading up to when I finally became sober. So there was struggles. I started off 2019 sober for, I think two weeks. And then I had, you know, after that I had a month or five weeks sober and then I had a huge blowout or whatever you want to call it, (laughs) um, at somebody's home, (laughs) which sucked. Um, and, uh, yeah, anyway, I kind of got to the point where like, I knew I was putting myself in serious danger, especially as a girl, like if you're super hammered and you're just out in public, anything, God knows what's going to happen. It's a very different situation. yeah. Yeah, it is a little different. So, um, yeah, I just, I knew I had to stop or else it was going to get really bad and it was already bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and did you kind of take it upon yourself? Like were you reading like, all right, how to, like, what was that process like? Cause I've, I just find that very interesting. Cause again, the, the willpower and the discipline that you have to have to maintain that, I think it's overlooked by people. Um, but it's a, you know, it's a challenging thing. Cause you're talking about, um, from when you were fairly young, your lifestyle was a certain way. So yeah. you have to break a pattern of behavior that's entrenched in you for years. And humans are not designed to break 
comfort zones. You know, we get in a comfort zone, whether the comfort zone is good or bad, but once you're in that zone of comfort, it's pretty difficult to shake that out. Um, so I'm, I'm a little bit curious about how you just went about that process. Were you going to meetings? Like what was the... No, I actually didn't go to meetings. I found meetings were not helpful for my sobriety because like a lot of alcoholics, you instantly are comparing yourself to people in the room and you're like, well, I'm not like this loser. Right. Or yeah. whatever. Are you also, you just feel like it's, it's not a com not everybody feels comfortable at AA meetings. Right. I don't feel uncomfortable there. I've got, I've go to them once in a while, just out of sheer joy sure. for being in the community. But, um, I kind of locked myself down. I didn't work much. I was eating whatever I wanted to eat that would make me happy and kind of getting like my dopamine hits from just innocent things until, until I felt strong enough to kind of resume normal life. Um, I kind of describe it as being a baby with like a soft spot on its head because a lot of things will trigger you. Um, I had to really, I guess my process was I quickly found out what my triggers were. I realized okay. that I wasn't where I wanted to be in life. And so I really would drink whenever I was feeling like the pain of that. Um, I would go to like really nice bars and lounges and I'd have like a $200 bill. And I guess I'd wanted to be in an atmosphere that made me feel like I was where I wanted to be in life. And also, um, you know, even being happy could be like a so-called trigger because, you know, you're feeling so good. Let's go have some drinks. Right, and, yeah. you know, and then you're not feeling so good. And I realized whatever it was that was on my mind, I kind of would ask myself like, well, after I have, you know, X amount of drinks, what is the situation going to be different or better? Mm. Like what's, what, is it going to fix the problem? No, it's not going to fix the problem. So I was able to somehow find a way to pause myself in the moment and ask myself those questions. I learned a lot of things were triggering me at the time. And now I'm so happy I'm in a much different place, but even just seeing somebody else doing well, or, you know, this girl has a boyfriend or this girl's getting engaged or, you know, this girl's in this country right now on vacation, like it's hard because we're always comparing ourselves with social media. And right. yeah, so I, I just, that, and that's part of why I shut down my Instagram, which we were talking about earlier. Um, so I had to do whatever I had to do to just make sure the soft spot on my head went away. And then finally things started to become normal again. And did you find that, um, like, was it easier to work? Like, you must have noticed that in other areas of I your life. I actually never drank at work. Funny. Okay. Because yeah. you'd think that would be, no. like, an environment that's pretty well-suited for that. Yeah, you know? even from, like, right out the gate at 19 years old. Um, actually, when I started dancing, I didn't drink alcohol. Okay. Yeah, alcoholism was kind of a problem with me even as a younger teenager. I actually wasn't allowed in my prom because I was really shit-faced. And that was something that I'll, you know, obviously never forget. Right. Um, and so I was sober uh, out of, right after high school for 18 months. And then I slowly started having cocktails um, as an adult. But I realized in the strip club, when you sit down and have drinks with people, it doesn't always mean that you're going to get paid right. or like more money out of those people or anything. I kind of like to go, go, go. My style in the strip club is hit and run as I like to call it. And, um, so I never really wanted to sit around and drink with people. Like I'd like to drink. I, I, the strip club wasn't the environment I wanted to drink in. I like to be in like really nice, like five star hotels and stuff when I drank. So for whatever reason, and also like, I don't need to be drunk to get naked for people. It's, it's something that I enjoyed doing and wanted to do even before, like even when I was 18, like I mentioned. So and so when did the, the cold plunging kind of come into effect? Was it related to no. the sobriety or it was just kind of you discovered no. it? It's so weird how it happened. It's totally new in my life. So I went 
Um, like the last weekend of this July was my first time doing it. Oh, that's it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you're a newbie. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, I've yeah. probably done it like 20 times. Um, and I was going to the gym, like weightlifting and stuff and training a lot. And somebody at my gym goes, I don't think they're actually doing it anymore, but they were doing like a hundred days in a row. Nice. And it was really cool. They posted on their story every morning and I um, went through a horrible, horrible breakup earlier this year. And he invited me to go with him. And like, I was just happy to be invited anywhere by anybody. And so <laughs> okay. I, I honestly, honestly, I was, cause like, I didn't join, like I work out at home. I've been lifting weights for so many years. I wasn't at the gym to get fit. I was at the gym to make friends and meet people. And, um, so I went out, I actually didn't really, I don't think I knew what I was getting myself into. That's what's so funny. Like That's I probably just, why you went. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah like, this is going to suck. <laughs> No, like I woke up uncharacteristically early. I woke up at like 4.30 a.m. Because um, they're all like personal trainers who I went with. And they all okay. had like clients at 6 a.m. So like we're up early. Right. Um, and <laughs> basically we get up there and that's when I started to clue in like, oh, the water's going to be cold. <laughs> and my friend who invited me looked at me and he was like, you just don't think. And then yes. we got in the water. I was like up to my neck. And um, his friend. Who's, oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. how I do it. Um, and then his other friend, like one of the people who was with us, basically just told me how to breathe. Yeah. And like the breathing changed everything. And um, so after that happened that weekend, I had a horrible, devastating breakup earlier this year, um, like eight or nine months ago. After that happened, um, the whole weekend I was crazy happy and I didn't totally click why right away I could see myself um the way a stranger would see me like I could see myself as just this person who can do anything like what's limiting you um it was like I saw myself without the lens of all these um bad experiences and limiting beliefs and I realized um oh my goodness I had a nervous system reset and I realized that every time I go cold plunging it's like I'm micro dosing that person and if I do it enough I'm going to become that person so I started to do it every single week and now I'm like practically a polar bear swimmer because before I was just cold plunging and now I'm swimming in the ocean in like November. So, well, I saw when was it? It was like a couple weeks ago. November twelfth. Yeah, you posted a, a video, and uh, I can't remember where you were. It was one of the beaches here. Yeah. And I was like watching you go in. I'm like, oh fuck. She's <laughs> like, oh, it's so great because you can just, you know, for people who, because the nice thing is at least at home I got a pool, so the, the heat's off, you know. Mm. So it, you know, it's it's frigid right so you go in there and it's just like oh you know you get that feeling but i i always i always have this really um i always have such a funny reaction to when i go in the cold water you'll definitely be able to relate to it um but like when i'm scared um i i am a bit of a screamer so when i get scared i'll, I'll scream i'm totally fine with that i'm a vocal person but then i laugh because i think it's funny because it's like oh okay you got me you got me and then i laugh because i you mm. know I think it's funny, you know, um, and, uh, oh yeah, go for it. I was going to say laughter is actually a sign of your vagus cord, um, relaxing. That, yeah. So <laughs> you're going for the cold water. So I'll go in and same deal. Like I'll go to neck and then I'll, when I finish, I'll go dunk, dunk the head to, mm. you know, get a little, little extra boost. Right. But once you get in, you get that initial, you get the gasp reflex kick in and then, okay. It's like breathing time. So you do you know, your, your intentional breathing, your breathing exercises that allow you to stay in the water for, you know, X amount of time. But then I'll just start laughing because then I'm like, this is also kind of funny. I'm freezing my ass off. And the fact that I'm uncomfortable makes me laugh. And, but then the laughter actually kind of helps you tough it out. Like you can kind of stay in the water cause you're just kind of laughing like a bit of a maniac, but, mm -hmm. um, 
it's a fun time. I mean, I, I do enjoy it, but then, uh, and that's funny, like for you, where you, you, that's a really interesting way of looking at it too, where you, you're microdosing, how'd you put it? You're microdosing that person who like that is person, just sort of free of that limitless person yeah. who's, you know, never been told that you can't do this or, you know, you're not good enough for that. So yeah, and then the more I do it, I actually find like I do think I'm becoming that because now my nervous system, like I can kind of go into that exact mode that I'm right. in when I cold plunge. I can do it on the spot now, which is you know something people. I think people work really hard for that. Like they teach it in neuroscience, and um, who is what's his name, Doctor Joe Dispenza. He talks a lot about that. Um, and I think cold plunging is definitely like the fastest track you can take mm -hmm. to that. Um, and yeah. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> no, no, that's great. Um, and, and just kind of like even more um, recently, um, yeah, so I had a really nasty, horrible breakup about a little while. Mine was a little bit longer ago, but yeah, it was, it was a fucked up situation. Um, so high five on that one. Yeah. But, um, you know, and so not like to get too detailed into it, but uh, I'm interested, um, like, how have you been kind of dealing with that? Have you been feeling a bit better when it comes to stuff like that? I know it's the couch we get. It's the <laughs> angles you're gonna get for the camera and the mics, but um, you know, how's that been? Like, how have you kind of been, you know, just as a person, how have you been kind of feeling about that? Um, I feel good right now. Good. Yeah. Yeah, and just kind of feeling a little bit more comfortable and just kind of. Um, anytime that I, you know, miss being in a relationship or something, I just take a breath and I remind myself, like, I'm not alone, I'm free. Yeah, because I wasn't free when I was with that person. Right. I was, like, so happy to be in prison with that person. But now I realize, like, you know, like you were saying, people can get comfortable with anything, kind mm -hmm. of. Um, and so you just have to be more, com like, I'm just trained myself to be comfortable being free. Yeah. Yeah. And when it comes to, you know, it, it's always, it's funny. Um, Cause you're the, well, okay. So I went to university with uh, a girl who's like big shot, only fan star. Like it's, it's kind of, her name's Elle Brooke. Oh, okay. British girl. But, okay. um, and I didn't even really know about it until after she left after first year, mm -hmm. um, which is really funny. And I'm like, holy shit. I kind of saw her a couple times, but you know, you don't pay attention or whatever. Right. Um, so it's, it's really interesting to, so other than her, you're the only person that I'm aware of. Um, that I've had any contact with who, you know, is in that line of work, which is great. And the thing that I, I think I mentioned to you on a phone call once, but what I really appreciate about you is that you talk about it. Um, you talk about your work in a very, like, yeah, it's just, this is work. It's professional, the way that you speak about it. You're clearly very intelligent, so it's not like, you know, you're just kind of, ah, da, 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 you know, ditzy about it. But, like, you understand what you're doing. You're, you're pretty tuned in. Um, and just kind of getting used to that environment, um, you know, moving forward. Um, and actually, I think, too, as well, maybe we should talk about, for people who don't know um, OnlyFans, the scale at which you can make money on it, I think people either think you don't make a lot of money or you make, like, you know, the crazy, you know, $50,000 a month. Oh, or, there's people making you know, 300 grand a month. Yeah, like it, yeah. it's ridiculous. And so for you, um, professionally speaking, um, maybe just, I guess, focusing on the OnlyFans work, um, and I guess your modeling work too, because you mentioned, you know, wanting to do some of that. Um, how do you kind of, how do you scale that? How do you grow 
you're following so that you end up making you know the money that you want to be making I find YouTube is a huge asset. I right. think um, that's the best place because it's kind of this nexus where everybody's on there. I mm. think YouTube, I mean, I guess I don't know what other people's lives are like, but for a lot of people, YouTube is kind of their guilty pleasure time. Right. Like a lot of people wake up in the morning and with their coffee, they watch a YouTube video mm -hmm. and people watch YouTube, you know, fall asleep. I, I fall asleep listening to some of my favorite YouTubers voices if I can't go to bed. And so YouTube's kind of the best place and I find that it doesn't limit you or restrict you the way Facebook and Instagram like to and Twitter. So my, like I catch people on YouTube. Right. Yeah. And you just had your page monetized too. Yes. Like a couple days ago or you? Yesterday. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Which is great. Congratulations on that. Thank That's you. That's excellent. Um, and so, yeah, like just moving forward, um, cause we're kind of wrapping up. We got a few minutes, so no rush, but, um, what are kind of your plans for the next little while, professionally speaking, just kind of, and tell us a little bit about your, your YouTube. Cause I don't think we've mentioned it yet other than just briefly. Yeah. But. My YouTube channel is called in bed with Nadia. And I like to have intimate talks from the safety of my bedroom. And I also do lingerie try-ons, which people really like. Um, YouTube, you know, I wanted to be able to bring some value to people by talking about things that people maybe don't normally hear somebody mm -hmm. talk about. And um, I'm pretty honest and open, especially about like health stuff. I actually beat psoriasis oh, wow. this year, which is a huge deal. How'd you do that? Um, just by like diet, like changing the things okay. I eat and stuff, super low histamine diet. Um, and uh, yeah, so I just kind of am an open book on my YouTube channel. And there's also some sexiness and some of my act like physical pursuits on there too. Um, my, you wanted to know like what's next for me or what yeah, I'm working yeah. on right now. Um, I want to do a lot more photography like or modeling, I should say. Uh, so that's really important to me. Um, I kind of feel like it's art for me and creating art's important to me. And, um, I'm starting to collect my thoughts and notes because I do want to maybe write a book. Yeah, not about me. Like, I want to write a book probably about um, relationships with your, ourselves and our God and stuff. And you're very religious as well. Um, I don't know if religious. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I don't know if that's the... I know. It's, I know. It's, it's always It's a tough word right? yeah. because I don't go to church. But yeah, I'm, I have a really strong faith. Yeah. Now, we got enough time to kind of get into it. So I went to uh, Catholic school and mm. I was an altar server and all that shit too. So like okay. I was... I really liked it at the time. You know, it was fun and... You know, kind of as I got got a bit older, I'm just kind of like, ah, hey, going to church, like, whatever. Like, I mean, it's just, it never was really, you know, and I guess I consider myself religious, I guess, you know, spiritual, sure, you know. But it's just kind of like, you know, I remember the lessons, you know, from Catholic school. Don't be an asshole, essentially, you know, be nice, treat people well, treat yourself well, you know, just live a good life, you know, be a good person, do spread as much joy and whatnot as you can make other people better right and yourself and um now when people hear what you do for a living and the fact that you're spiritual religious those kind of seem to clash um you know just by hearing it at that level but what's your relationship like with that and and from the background that i've you know from talking to you and whatnot that also helped with your sobriety as well? Yeah, it did. I was yeah. actually, it was a huge contributing factor because obviously the Bible talks about in the end days, like, you know, not being drunk or it also talks about when you are drunk that 
like the Holy Spirit's not inside you. Does it actually? Oh, I gotta refresh yeah. my <laughs> refresh yeah. my reading. And actually, there's a lot of science behind that because Funny. there's very limited studies on blood and what blood's actually doing. But from what I've read, blood is actually what holds your soul in your body. So when your blood alcohol content changes, that's when your soul starts to slip out and blackout comes. So, um, yeah, I, I wanted for spiritual reasons, I wanted to be sober all the time and conscious all the time. I didn't like who I would be when I drank because sometimes I'd be mm. mischievous or naughty or rude and stuff, just bratty. And I'm not like that when I'm sober. Um, so I, I didn't want to be that naughty person. And when I say naughty, I mean like mischievous and like deviant. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, that played a role. Nobody really says anything to me about my faith. Um, the only person who denounces my faith is my mom. She's very, um, like, she's not, she doesn't believe in Jesus. She doesn't believe in God. She's not Christian. Oh, she's okay. not of faith. Um, and it really bothers her and triggers her and makes her angry that I say I'm a Christian. And I think that that's like you're kind of touching on. It bothers people because they have this very non-sexual view of Christians Right. And, um, but that's so not true. Like all Christians love sex, all, all humans do, and mm -hmm. God created it. So it's obviously a big part of us. None of us would be here without it. I think it's just about having sex in the right context or sorry, um, handling it responsibly and handling people's mm -hmm. hearts responsibly, I think is a big main thing. And I think what people don't understand about Christianity is it's so much about your heart posture because if you're just following a set of rules and laws like Muslims or Catholics do, but your heart's not in it, right. then nothing's actually transforming inside you. So it's kind of more about having a heart transformation, which then governs your obedience to God. It's not obedience first. It's usually like something has to shift and then mm -hmm. out of faith, you're obedient. Heart posture. Yeah. Never heard that before. That's really interesting. Yeah. It's these two YouTubers, Tori and Chad Masters. They use that term and I really love them. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I know for me, because uh, I went to public high school, but the Catholic um, elementary school. So I, you know, pretty familiar with all that stuff. And then um, what was interesting was the, uh, it's funny being so, it's not that personal, but it's interesting. Um, like the first kind of couple girlfriends that I had, you know, when you're yeah, like late teens and okay. into your early 20s, um, like when you're sleeping together, I had a lot of that Catholic guilt shit on me where I'm like, oh, this is wrong. This is bad, you know? And it's like, and then after a while, I just got to the point where I'm like, it'll be like, we love each other. Like, what the fuck? You know, like, it's not a big deal. Like, we're not doing anything terrible. Um, but I don't know, maybe if, if I get judged for that, I'm like, eh, I'll stand by those decisions. It was okay. You know, but it, it's funny how certain elements of a faith can kind of stick to you in different ways. And sometimes it hinders and then other times it can, you know, prop you up as well. So it's, it's always that interesting little dance you got to do and figuring out internally, like, okay, this is where I'm at and this is how I feel about it and et cetera. But sounds like you have a pretty good, um, you sound pretty self-aware when it comes to that stuff, at least, you know, and, and was that like a bit of a, a bit of a road for you to kind of figure that out or did it sort of come a little bit more naturally? Um, it was really natural and from a really, really young age, people sexualized me for better or for worse. Like people imposed that onto me mm. from a really young age. And I was very naive and I was very naive in middle school and stuff. And guys would say super crazy things to me. I remember being so young and people were like, tell me like, you're going to end up in porn or oh, like, that's nice. <laughs> I mean, I am though. 
Right. But I'm sure they weren't saying it no, to be nice about it. They were saying it like, eh, you know. Right. But I was move. like so young. I was like literally like 14, 15. And I'm just like, you know, if you look at 14, 15 year old girls to say that to them, that's like outrageous. Mm-hmm. So from a really young age that was being imposed upon me and older men were interested in me and stuff. And um, so I, even without doing anything as a virgin, people were already putting so much sexual fantasy onto me. And I realized, like, even as, like, a virgin, if people are acting this way, it's really, like, how do I say this? Like, like I'm not doing anything. Mm-hmm. I'm just sensual. Mm-hmm. And people kind of take that and, like... It's not my fault. I'm hot, asshole. <laughs> people kind of turn it into what they want to <laughs> turn it into. Like, people see what they want to see. Yeah. Um, and then with my career, you know, it's complicated. There's a whole ethical or moral debate. But there's, like, lots of single mothers who are dancers. There's a lot of people, like, I know a girl who just became a dancer because she has this outrageous vet bill. And her, like, she, her pet needs her. Right. Yeah. And so um, things happen. And... Um, with my faith and with um, what I do for work, you know, it's not, even if I'm covered in sweats on the street, like picking up a coffee, like people, I've had men be like, Ugh, when I walk by them on the sidewalk. Wait, I'm, you just fucking elbow them no, in the face on the way by, you prick. Ha- this happens to a lot of girls. Like girls are not joking when they say it's scary. No, I believe you. Yeah. And so like, if you're covered in baggy sweats and that's still the reaction, like, I mean, that's, being a stripper is not the problem mm-hmm. and, and having sex with somebody you care about is not the problem. People are just really hypersexualized, or people maybe don't know how to control that themselves, but like that's their responsibility to figure out for them if they want to. It always amazes me. Um, it, it's hard to believe that like, obviously like the two of us sitting here, we're both humans in general, right? You know, we got that going, but it's interesting. Like, um, I guess I'm a man. Ugh. But, you know, I'm a guy, we'll go with that, you know, and a woman and the, the, the experiences that like you go through versus the experience that I've gone through in, in just that one category, it's just like, it's not even night and day. It's that much different. Like it, it always amazes me like how much shit women have to deal with, like how you're saying, like where for me, that would just never, it doesn't even cross my mind because it just is not something that happens. So it's, it's amazing the, the discrepancy in experience and yet we're, we're both the same thing, you know? Yeah. It's fascinating to me. Yeah. And kind of, a, and pretty unfair too, I would add, you know? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, no, I don't really think of, there's like a separation between like your sexuality and then your faith. Like, I feel like you, you don't need to have one and then not have the other. That right. seems really outrageous. But I do think that there is an issue with promiscuity and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's, we actually timed that out cool. pretty well. It goes by quick. Yeah. Yeah. I love doing these. It's so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us where people can find you. I think you mentioned the YouTube already, but mention, I guess, Instagram, YouTube, OnlyFans. Yeah. So anything my, else? Um, yeah. My handle is at NadiaFox777 for OnlyFans, Twitter, Instagram, and even YouTube. You can find me YouTube instru- introduced handles recently. So if you do oh, okay, at right. NadiaFox777, it'll show up on YouTube too. And yeah, that's where you can find me. And thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you. It was lovely to, great to meet you in person. I know yeah. it, was, it was a lot of fun.